Hi, everyone. I know I told you last week that I wasn't going to be here, but uh, sort of inspired in some ways by PG&E, who, uh, you know, like Nicole, told me that my power was going to come on Friday at 10.30 p.m., uh, and it came on Wednesday at 8. They, they under-promised and over-delivered. I thought I would do the same. Um, no, but, but in, all, in all truth, I was away. Lynn and I were away at a wedding this weekend until this morning. Um, but Richie Takasugi was scheduled to speak this week, and he had COVID, and you all know how uncertain COVID could be, whether it drags on or whether you're going to test well or not. So we just made a decision early last week to pivot and change, and so we made our way back this morning. And you don't need to feel too bad about that because... At the wedding, one of the, one of the uh, groom's friends, who was one of the groomsmen, is a pastor in Queens. And he got to the wedding after being in Africa two months, flew in Friday just before the wedding rehearsal, and then, as if that weren't enough, after the wedding last night, got on a red eye back to New York so that he could be at church this morning. So that, those are really some heroic measures. Um, I'm not made for that at all, but uh, I'm sure uh, given the time difference and everything that he is fast asleep now uh, and completely unsure of what day it is. But anyway, it's really a pleasure. It's really a pleasure to be here and uh, we'll get Richie on the schedule again in the future as well. Uh, after Probably after he and Dee have the baby, this is a very exciting time for them, but thankfully uh, they're on the mend and doing well, testing negative actually here today because of that, but uh, that was all uncertain earlier in the week. So. It's, uh, it's great to be here. This morning we are continuing our teaching series for this season leading up to Easter entitled Signs of Life, where we are exploring the seven signs that Jesus performed that are recorded in the Gospel of John and what each one reveals about Jesus' identity as the Messiah, as well as the invitation that each one extends to us to believe into Jesus and experience life in him both today and for eternity. Last week, we looked together at the fourth sign that Jesus performed, where he miraculously fed 5,000 people with five small barley loaves and two fish. And as Esther noted, the way that John tells that story is very intentionally meant to evoke the story of God's feeding of the Israelites in the wilderness. This morning, we're going to look at the fifth of Jesus' signs, which similarly evokes the Old Testament, and in doing so, serves as sort of a companion piece to the sign that comes before, and that is the story of Jesus walking on the water. If, you if you'd like to join me in the scriptures today, you're welcome to turn or tap your way to John chapter 6, which is our text for this morning. We'll be starting in verse 16. John chapter 6, verse 16, and as always, you're also welcome to follow along with the text on the screens, either behind me or the one that is out in the courtyard. And as we pick up the action here in John 6, 16, Jesus has just finished feeding the crowd. And as we saw last time, after experiencing that miracle, the crowd who benefited from it had begun to sense Jesus' identity. Based on what he had just done, they were sensing that Jesus was the prophet who Moses had said God would one day raise up. But look at the way that Jesus responds to that in John chapter 6, verse 15. John writes this, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And so we see there that when Jesus became aware of what was happening among the crowd, and specifically when he became aware that they wanted to make him king, 
he left. John says that he withdrew to a mountain by himself. And so that's the scene as we pick up the action and begin reading in John chapter 6, verse 16. John writes, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. And so we hear in those verses that after Jesus had fed the crowd, when evening came, the disciples went down to the lake, they got themselves into a boat, and they started heading across for Capernaum. And listen again to the way that John describes the scene there in verse 17. He says, But now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. Now, we've been noticing throughout our series the very intentional nature of John's narrative. A couple of weeks ago, we saw the intentional connection that John made with the very beginning of Genesis as he begins his gospel. But just like Genesis, John's narrative opens with the words, in the beginning, which John uses very strategically to link Jesus' identity with God himself. And now, here in chapter 6, we see John evoking the creation narrative again through these references that he makes to the darkness and the rough waters. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And all of that is significant because water and darkness were symbols of chaos in the world of the ancient Near East. The formless and empty earth that is described for us there in Genesis was a place of chaos before God began to bring order and function to it through his word. And those are exactly the feels that John wants his readers to have here. It's dark, the waters are rough, the disciples are experiencing chaos. But interestingly enough, it's not just the weather that's chaotic for the disciples. Look again with me at verses 17 and 18. It says, By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And so we see there that sandwiched in between the description of the darkness and the winds and the rough waters, John highlights the fact that Jesus had not yet joined them. Jesus had not yet joined them. He had withdrawn to that mountain by himself. And the disciples, as a result of that, were without him. And you can't help but wonder what the disciples, how they must have been feeling about that at this point. How they must have been feeling, not so much perhaps about Jesus not being there, but more so about why he wasn't there because they too had experienced Jesus feeding all of the people. 
and combined with seeing Jesus turn the water into wine and heal the royal official's son and tell the paralytic at the pool to pick up his mat and walk. Like the crowd, it's highly likely that they too were believing at this point that they were in the presence of the one who had been promised by the prophets. And so the disciples may very well have begun to become excited themselves that the one who would come and bring deliverance from the Roman Empire and the oppression that they were having on their people had come. But of course we remember that when all of that began to stir among the people, when those hopes began to stir, Jesus fled. He fled. And in that abrupt departure, Jesus was effectively rejecting that ascription. That in his departure, he was rejecting being king, at least in the way that the people would have expected him to be king. And all of that would have very likely been super disorienting for the disciples. It would have likely been very disorienting to the trajectory that they thought they were beginning to see with Jesus. And I love the way that Leslie Newbegin captures this in his commentary on the book of John called The Light Has Come. He writes these words. He says, more violent than the darkness is the fact that they, the disciples, are bereft. More violent than the storm that threatens to drown them are their doubts and perplexities. And so the disciples here are not just experiencing chaos in the form of the weather. They're also experiencing the chaos of doubt as well. They are also experiencing the chaos of doubt. And then John 6, verse 19 says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. And so in the very midst of, of all of the chaos, in the very midst of the chaos of the weather and the chaos of their doubt, the disciples look out from the boat and they see Jesus approaching them, walking on the water. And John says that they were frightened. John says they were frightened. But as we look at that description that John gives us, notice what John doesn't say in comparison to the same accounts of the story shared by Matthew and Mark. John doesn't say that the disciples were frightened because they saw a ghost. Instead, everything about the language that John uses here suggests that the disciples' fear was not simply fright, but rather it was a recognition that they were in the presence of God himself. And Jesus' words in verse 20 definitely corroborate that. John chapter 6, verse 20 says, But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. It is I, Jesus begins. The Greek reads, ego eimi, which can alternately be translated as I am, which of course evokes God's appearance to Moses in Exodus chapter three, where God identifies himself with the phrase, I am who I am. Now last week, Esther noted that in addition to there being seven signs in John's gospel, there are also seven I am statements that represent Jesus' self-definition of his identity. 
And Esther talked about the first of those last time, which occurs just a little bit further in this same chapter here in John, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am, ego eimi, incidentally, same phrase that we have here in John, earlier in John 6, I am the bread of life. Back when I was in junior high school, I got to go to the first of only two pre-release movie screenings that I've ever been to. And it was for the Steven Spielberg produced Back to the Future. And there are a couple of things that I will always remember about that experience. One was that the special effects in the movie were not quite yet finished. And so those scenes in the film, like for example, when Dr. Brown's DeLorean would take off traveling in time with all the flames behind it, those scenes were all still in black and white. And so the movie had this really interesting, unfinished aesthetic to it. It was, it was still very much in post-production, which, which was kind of cool. And then the other thing that I remember about that experience, because I was really into music at the time, was hearing the Huey Lewis and the News song, The Power of Love, for the first time as part of the movie. And I remember thinking that that song was so great and getting to tell my friends that there was going to be this Huey Lewis and the News song coming out with the movie. And so it was fun to have that preview, to go to that preview, see that movie early, and kind of have the inside scoop a little bit as a result. And in a sense, you know, Jesus is doing something similar for the disciples here as he walks out to them on the water and says, it is I, or I am. But after the doubts that they had experienced, after his abrupt departure from the feeding, Jesus is now giving the disciples an exclusive preview of who he is. Before he will go and announce to the crowd, I am the bread of life, after they get ashore. And so Jesus, with this little curt phrase, ego eimi, is very much reorienting his disciples here in the midst of the chaos of their doubt. Now, for John, remember, more important than these signs themselves are their significance. For John, more important than the sign itself, than the miracle itself, is its significance. And like the feeding of the 5,000 was meant to evoke God feeding the Israelites in the wilderness, Jesus walking on the water is similarly evocative of the Old Testament and specifically the parting of the Red Sea. Leveled up a notch, of course, because Jesus is not walking on the dry ground in between the parted sea. He's walking on top of the water. And so the significance of this fifth sign that Jesus performs is that it's a sign of his power over nature. That this fifth sign is a sign of Jesus' power over nature. That by walking on the water, Jesus demonstrates his power to calm the seas. But even more significantly, by walking on the water, he demonstrates the power, just as we see in the creation narrative in Genesis, to bring order to the chaos. That Jesus brings order to the chaos. And because he brings order to the chaos, his next words ring especially true. Jesus says to his disciples, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Those same words that are spoken all throughout the scriptures when humans encounter the divine. 
Right? When God came to Abraham in Genesis 15, when he appeared to Hagar in Genesis 26, and to Jacob in Genesis 46, he said, do not be afraid. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah and then to Mary in Luke chapter 1, the angel said, do not be afraid. And now Jesus speaks those same words to his disciples. And those words are significant because they remind us that Jesus is present in the chaos. Jesus is present in the chaos. For all the power that Jesus has to calm the seas, he is also present with us in the chaos. And remembering the way that John highlighted Jesus' absence from his disciples up to this point, that gives us here, I think, a sense for what a beautiful thing that is. Jesus is present with us in the chaos. And you know, uh, what a timely reminder that is for us as a church community, right? as we enter now into this time of transition together. Now, every therapist will tell you that change is good. But for as good as change can be, it can definitely feel a lot like chaos. Now, change has the capacity to be super unsettling for us. Kind of like our stability is being tossed about, if we take that image here from John 6 of being in a boat during a storm. But Jesus is present with us in that. He is present with us in the midst of the chaos of change. He is present with us in the midst of the chaos of our relationships. He's present with us in the midst of the chaos of parenting. He's present with us in the midst of the chaos that we experience at work or at school. He's present with us in the midst of the chaos of this world, in everything from tenuous international relations to war, to gun violence, to racial hate, to the housing crisis, to these literal storms that are wreaking havoc across our state. Jesus is present in the chaos. And Jesus' words here in John 6, don't be afraid, powerfully remind us of that. You know, one of my favorite, most beloved spiritual practices is breath prayer. A breath prayer is very simply a brief prayer that can be prayed throughout the day in the short space of an inhale and an exhale that centers us in the truth of God's presence. And Jesus' words here in John 6 make a perfect breath prayer for those moments when we find ourselves being tossed about by the winds and the waves. Personally, I like to invert Jesus' words here and inhale with the words, don't be afraid and then exhale with the words, I am. And I want to encourage you to experiment with saying that prayer. Whenever you feel the tension of anxiety and uncertainty, either physically expressing itself in your body, or when you find it consuming your mind and your thoughts, don't be afraid, I am. What a gift Jesus' words are to center us on the truth that he is indeed present with us 
in the chaos. Jesus brings order to the chaos. He is present with us in the chaos. And then we also see in this story that Jesus delivers us to new shores. Jesus delivers us to new shores. Look at John chapter 6, verse 21. It says, Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. And so Jesus gets into the boat, and John says that immediately they reached the shore where they were heading. He gets into the boat, and it's like a fastball forward button. Right? Automagically, the disciples are delivered from the chaos of the water to the safety of a new shore. And what a great reminder that is of the reality that for all of the discomfort and uncertainty that can come with chaos in, in all the various forms in which we experience it, for all the discomfort and uncertainty that can come with chaos, Jesus ultimately delivers us to new shores. That the chaos is all a part of God opening up new and beautiful things. It's all a part of God bringing us to new shores to experience the new things that he has for us. Now, the highway community really started all the way back in 1995 as a Friday night worship service at the church that I grew up in, the First Baptist Church of Los Altos, which is now called Bridges Community Church. And to be totally honest, when my longtime colleague Dean Smith and I started that Friday night service all those years ago, we had no idea where God would eventually lead us. You know, at the time, I thought that God was raising up the next generation inside of the church that I had grown up in. And that Highway and the young adults group that I was leading at the time were laying a foundation somehow for the future of that church. But God had other ideas. A new senior pastor came and Highway in time was sent out as a church plant. And that was definitely a time of chaos for me. I mean, I was excited about the opportunity to plant a church, but at the same time, I was not exactly sure that God knew what he was doing through all of that. You know, it felt so counterintuitive to what I'd been doing for the last seven and a half years at that time, or at least to what I thought that I was doing. But what I would come to learn in the years following the chaos of that transition is that God had so much more for Highway than, than we had ever imagined. That there were so many things that we, that we uh, never would have done had we stayed. And more importantly, there were so many people who we never would have met, so many relationships that never would have been formed, so much ministry that never would have happened had we never left. And so while our deliverance uh, may not be as immediate or instantaneous as what the disciples experienced here in John 6, when we hold on to Jesus in the midst of the chaos, he nevertheless will deliver us to new shores because that's what Jesus does. And so in the middle of the storm, may we be aware of Jesus, the one who brings order to the chaos. May we hold on to him as he is present with us in the chaos. And as we do that, may we have hope for the new shores that are ahead. Don't be afraid. I am. Would you pray with me?
And as we sit here in the stillness of Jesus' presence this morning, I want to invite you, just wherever it is that you find yourself today, just as a way of starting that practice of this breath prayer, to rehearse that breath prayer once or twice, to inhale with the words, don't be afraid, and exhale with those words, I am. Inhale. Exhale. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for this fifth sign of Jesus that John records and for everything that it reveals to us about who you are and what it means to experience life in your name, both today and for eternity. And we thank you, God, for the life that we experience through your presence with us in all of the things that we're navigating. But particularly, God, for the very important reminder that you are present with us in the chaos that we experience. And we confess, Father, that sometimes we can lose track of that very important truth. Chaos has a way of making us feel alone, sometimes even making us isolate ourselves. But we thank you, Father, that as we find ourselves tossed by the winds and the waves, that we too, like the disciples, can look out from that boat and see you walking on the water. We thank you that you are a God who brings order to the chaos. And that as we hold on to you, God, you deliver us in your time to the new shores that you have. We thank you, God, that you are able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And so would you cast out our fears? Enable us to cling to you and receive the peace that you have in the midst of that. And God, would you help us to see the beautiful things that you have for us on the new shores? We thank you, Father, that you are the great I am and that you never leave us or forsake us. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.